Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Law of Attraction Roundtable. I'm Gary Temple Bodley, and with me today is a friend of mine who I met a long time ago. Well, I guess it was three or four years ago, and she is all an accomplished author and has an amazing story about Law of Attraction and how she's, you know, started to go with the flow of life and become who she really is. And so I'm happy to welcome Isabella May. Hi, Isabella. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Gary. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. My awesome. first podcast as well. So. Yeah, good. So <laughs> we met through Jeanette Ma, yeah. and it was right at the beginning when I channeled a perception reality. I sent one to Jeanette, and then I participated on her blog for a while, and then we met through her somehow, and I yeah. can't remember how, but... Uh, you were at the time a literary agent and living in the south of Spain, right? Where you still live there now? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Awesome. And so you were taking around the book and we thought it might be published traditionally. And we went to Hay House and they're like, no, no more channels. We have Esther. That's all we need. <laughs> and we're like, oh, okay, whatever. And so... It, <laughs> It and the rest of the books became self-published, and you went on to start your amazing writing career. And so just want to talk about how, you know, your life story and how you, you know, became a writer, how you found Law of Attraction, and then how you started writing all these books, which you just finished your sixth book now. So let's yeah. talk about your life. Like, where were you born? Well, I grew up in Glastonbury uh, in uh, the UK, and not everyone from overseas has heard of Glastonbury, but it is pretty much the most mystical town, the most spiritual town in the United Kingdom. Yes. But, you know, I wasn't really into any of that then. Um, and I think maybe the ley lines were working on me subconsciously, something was going on. And it's not until I moved away that I could appreciate how special it is there. I mean, yeah. for example, the um, MBS author, Rebecca Campbell, Hay House author, she's a big author now, um, she's been attracted to Glastonbury. She now lives there. Uh, and it's not until you step back and you go back and visit um, and you see how the high street has changed and how we have all these amazing shops that are not just full of incense and crystals and candles, but everything you could possibly think of to do with the unconventional like you realize, wow, it's a really special place and also has the biggest music festival in the world. Sure. Um, one of the girls that I was at school with, I was her dinner monitor. She's incredibly famous now in the UK, a girl called Emily Evis. And you just, all of that goes, I don't know, you just miss it all when you're younger because you don't know any different. This is all you've ever known, this little community. You step away from it and you go, wow, everybody wants a piece of Glastonbury. So it was yes. really exciting to have grown up there. And part of me does miss it, but I think the magic wouldn't be there if I moved back. You know, I'd get fed up with it because I've got too much of a local view on the place and I'd want the convenience stores and the clothes shops and all the things I missed when I was a teenager. So I could appreciate it better from, from living afar. But I think that's definitely where the journey started. Um, I, I wasn't born in the town, but I lived there since the age of four or five. So yeah. and I lived there when I was 27. So, and how did you find yourself moving to beautiful, sunny south of Spain? Well, um, my husband was offered a job in Gibraltar. It didn't pan out. 
Um, and then we really got ready to move and we've researched it all and I was gutted and it's like, okay, well, we'll settle back into life in Gloucestershire and in England. We had a nice community of friends. And then all of a sudden, the next year, same time of year as well, which was really strange. And I guess because I'd let go, right? I had no attachment to it anymore. I really wanted it, researched it, looked into it, could visualize us being there, let go and thought, well, whatever. And then they contacted him again. This company said, well, we've created a role for you. Will you come over? So it was a no-brainer, really. I mean, I had a four-month baby at the time and my other child. I was thinking, oh, do I really want to move and go through all this? But you know it's happened for a reason, so... You have to go with it. Otherwise, you'll kick yourself and go, what if, what if, we should have done it. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, we live in Spain because that's the easiest uh, place to live in terms of, you know, bigger housing. And we wanted the kids to be bilingual. Um, but my husband now works in Portugal. Brexit. Brr. <laughs> 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 I'm going to get on the subject, um, which is fine. We get to go to Lisbon quite a lot, which is lovely. And um, yeah, this is coming in for our ninth year now in um, Andalusia, in the south of Spain. So it's really nice. We're really Great. Happy. And yeah. so were you always interested in writing? Yes, I think ever since I was a young child, the um, signs have always been there. I was always making up really silly stories, um, along with really bad illustrations really wacky stories, you know, the kind of thing that only made sense to me and my sister, the kind of stuff that we would only giggle about. And um, it's fun sometimes to look back on those because mum and dad have got like a box of old things and you go, oh my goodness. So it's always been there. And another thing I used to do, which was really odd and along the wacky lines, but a bit unconventional, um, I used to come home from school and I used to write the names of everyone in my class, cut up bits of paper, and then just invent scenarios where I'd like pick out names and invent scenarios, invent stories and just make up really weird off the wall situations, you know, usually involving people coupling up and stuff like that. So I suppose it's always kind of been there. I was also the one at school to instigate, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the game Consequences, where you have like a sheet of paper, you write two lines, you fold the first one back so that you can only see one line of the story and you yeah. pass it on to the person. And we used to get caught in English class for doing that to hold off and we'll get thrown <laughs> in the bit. I think the teacher probably picked them out afterwards and read them. So I was always the one to instigate that. So I think the signs were always there. But, you know, I went to uni. I did um, a degree in French and German. And I ended up working in children's publishing. I had a, a really, really cool job. My first job was a European sales manager. Uh -huh. uh, so I was jetting off everywhere selling board books, uh, pop-up books, novelty books to children, um, to children, well, they were going to children, to children's publishing houses all over the world in foreign language sales. So I never got to do the States or Australia, unfortunately, but everywhere else. So that was really exciting. And I've always sort of stayed in publishing and, and worked with books. And I think you see what other people are doing. You think, oh, there's a book in me. I know it, you know. Um, so when I did write my first one, Oh, What a Pavlova, I based it, um, well, it had a background of, you know, children's publishing as part of the story. I had to do that because it's not something people write about that much. It's quite a niche area. But it's a crazy world. It's yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that first, yeah, the first book is semi-autobiographical. Well, it is. 
the, the main character, that's her life. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. There are, there are things in there that are based on, um, stuff that's happened to me because I do strongly believe in writing about what you know. I think, you know, when you do that, you tell a great story, but there are lots of things that are embellished, added in characters that don't exist in real life, et cetera, et cetera. So only I really know what's real and what's not. So this book took seven years, the first book. And when did you start? So let's say you started, you finished it in 2000, say 17. Uh, yeah. Or was it 2016? Yeah, somewhere around there. 2016. I started subbing it like November time, 2016. Okay. I think that's when I started subbing it. And then uh, March time, I got an offer um, with a small publishing house. Yeah. Um, they're one of those publishing houses that are open to unique stories. And, you know, my my issue, and I'm making an issue by saying it's an issue, yeah. is I don't write to a sort of set... Um, to a list of demographic. Exactly. And yeah. um, my stories are multifaceted. They have lots of plots going on. They have hidden messages. For some, it's just impossible to market them. You know, some publishers just don't want to know. They want something really much more simple that they can fit into a nice little pigeonhole. But I just don't write like that. I've, Would, I've not even tried because it's not being true to who I am. Yeah. And it just thwarts your creativity, I think. Well, which is nice about the ease of self-publishing these days. We don't need the gatekeepers to approve us anymore. But what I wanted to jump on is when did you start getting into Law of Attraction? Wow, that was an interesting story. We were we were broke, we were really broke. Oh dear, and it was when we first moved over here. Um, it was just one of those weeks. I mean, my husband had a, a decent job, but the outgoings were just getting a bit crazy and I wasn't working because Spanish school's tricky. Um, they finish at two. They have yeah. 11 week long vacations for the summer. <laughs> they have random days off. Um, so not really at school that much. So to find something that would fit into those hours is, is really tricky. And I had a really young baby as well, so I couldn't work. So I did try for a while to, to have my, my agency, my boutique literary agency, which I ran for a while, but it's really tricky when you can't get to book fairs and things like that, when you mm. can't agents face-to-face -face or meet clients face-to-face -face. it's it's hard to sell from afar yeah so yeah it was just one of those weeks you know and um i took my daughter to her english class and um the teacher i just remember talking to her at the gate just kind of moaning and being really ornery about money situation she said wait a minute I've got something for you. Now, I've always been interested in MBS books generally, but I'd never come across the concept of law of attraction. I guess I had, but it hadn't occurred to me. It wasn't written down law of attraction any, in any book I'd read. Right. But books I'd read leading up to that point must have hinted at it in some way because I'd read a lot. She went into her house and she brought out a copy of The Secret, ah. <laughs> which is where most of us start, right? Right, me too. And I read, I took it home, so like, thank you, you know, never heard of it. She was like, no, seriously, it'll change the way you think about things. And I read it that night. I mean, obviously, you know, it's not very text heavy, it's quick to read. I read it again, I read it again, I read it again. And over the course of a week, 
I was just like, oh my God, I want to shout this stuff out from the rooftop and tell everyone I know. You know, I found something out about life and the world and the universe. And oh, I was a flipping nightmare after that. I mean, it was <laughs> funny because after that, it's a bit like, I don't know if you've read the Celestine Prophecy. Sure. Celestine mm-hmm. Prophecy, however you pronounce it. And um, once you've read that book or someone's given you a copy of that book, there's this thing that you will hear about it a lot. I mean, law of attraction. You will hear about it a lot. Someone will mention it in conversation. You'll happen to see someone reading it. It will just happen. And it did when I read that. Um, and the same was true with The Secret. All of a sudden, people around me are starting to talk about it. Oh, my goodness. You know, getting goosebumps everywhere. Right. But I became absolutely awful after that because I was just like this preaching fairy godmother going around thinking I could fix everyone's problems. You're being negative. You must <laughs> focus on this and that. No wonder you've got no money. You're ill because of, honestly, and I just want to slap myself now. But I think I just got, it was just me being overexcited. Thinking, sure. read this book, it will help you. So I had people come to stay, um, friends come to stay, and we've never quite got our friendship back on track since this. They stayed in the spare room and I had this like library full of Rhonda Byrne books, you know, all of them. And I'm just like, because I thought they had issues in their lives that they needed to solve. And they they were just really not happy by the end of the week. So I just pushed it onto them way too much. And I think now, you know, you look at it and you realize that we're vibrationally just not in the same vicinity. Maybe that won't ever happen again in this lifetime. That's fine. But you let it go. You learn to let it go in time. But I was really, yeah, I was a nightmare. <laughs> And so can you see how that interest then sort of allowed the the book to flow? And then you said there's some hidden things in the book. You know, in our group, in the Joshua community, a whole bunch of people loved that first book and ordered it right away. Um, I think, yeah. It wouldn't have been the secret that did it, but then moving on to discover quite quickly, really, after the secret, it's funny how fast, you know, you've got that willingness to learn. And when the student's ready, the teacher or the teachers will appear. So it moved on very quickly then to Abraham Hicks. And then it moved on very quickly from there to Joshua. Um, That would have been probably around the time that Jeanette introduced us. And you just start delving into this, into this stuff really much deeper. And you realize, oh my gosh, you know, the secret is great. We need that as the, the beginning to, to get us into the law of attraction. But, oh, it doesn't even scratch the surface, you know? <laughs> it doesn't. There's so, to it. There's so much more to learn. And everyone's learning all the time. Um, so I think really it's through Abraham, through Joshua, that... I started to think about things differently and I started to realize I, I can do whatever I want. If I want to write, there's no reason why I shouldn't be doing it. You know, this is the perfect time. I'm living in an environment. I think living in Spain really helps. Spain, Spain's been very healing because um, just before we left the UK, um, our second child was sadly stillborn. So Spain has been this hugely healing place to come. Um, to recover from that and also to to find out about law of attraction. Um, And it's really odd the way that I found out about it here as opposed to the UK or the mystical town I grew up in. Um, And I think then you just start becoming more of an authentic 
you. You start becoming more of the person you truly are. So we lived by the beach. We've moved now and we do have a nice um, green view outside, but we're a bit further from the beach now. But we lived right on the beach. So every morning for eight years, I wake up to this amazing, <laughs> amazing view of double doors of the Mediterranean Sea. Literally, our back gates has about like, I don't know, five meters and you're on the beach. Wow. So it was incredible. I mean, a very working class town. It wasn't luxury or anything, but it was nice. It was what it was. It was a house that needed a lick of paint, but it was on the beach. So you just had this incredible view all the time. And I don't know, I guess gazing out at that sea, you just see that anything's possible. There's Morocco right over there. There's Africa. Yeah. You know, everything just seems so open, so within reach. And yeah. we have mountains around us too, so you're just constantly immersed in this beautiful scenery. But the other weird thing was that I was, when I was in that house, I was sandwiched between two writing groups, oh. literally. Like equal distance apart, expat writing groups. So I go to one in one town, one like they run every month, I think, once a month, and I go to one in the other town once a month. And then through that, um, one of the authors, a crime writer, she was running a writing course. So she was like, Do you want to sign up? Okay. So I went on the writing course, learned how to write properly. It was like a six-week course, but you went, you know, one session every six weeks, learn how to write properly. Met two really good friends and we set up an online uh, women's magazine called The Glass House. So that was really good. Um, and everything's just sort of pre-paving, pre-paving, pre-paving until you get to that point you go, hang on a minute, it's time to put these ideas I've been scribbling down because I had some brainstorms and things and I've been writing little bits and sewing them together. It's time to put all of that into a book now. What's stopping us? And I think as well, we'd be reviewing other people's books, other people's novels and things. And they were good, but I always sort of felt like, well, I don't know, I'm hiding behind everyone else's words here. I want to get mine out there. So all of the law of attraction, studying it, the channeling, listening to all of those kind of podcasts and things, um, I think it just helped pave the way for me to feel confident enough to do it really. Yes, because here you are, yeah, you're a writer, naturally. You're born into this very spiritual place. Everything yeah. is leading you step by step to who you're going to become. Who yeah. you're going to become now is the author of six books and who you were 15 years ago was this person who didn't see yourself from that higher perspective. And so you had to take a journey of self-discovery, realizing that was always in you the whole time. But you had to get a perception of yourself that would allow you to push past the fear and actually start typing. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I mean, who I was 15 years ago was a very scared young woman in a domestic violence relationship. Um, and so I had this double life. I had this very successful career working in foreign rights and, you know, to the outside world, I appeared like this swish young professional jetting off here, there and everywhere. Um, you know, and I'll be honest, I had a few men after me, but behind closed doors, I was, well, wasn't married, fortunately, but I was very much the, the downtrodden, battered, housewife and although it wasn't something that happened on a regular basis it 
Um, it kind of un unearthed everything enough that you, you were just constantly walking on eggshells. You never knew when something was about to happen. And yeah. that something could be really bad and it could finish you off like that. Yeah. So, so, so now you are... No ETA. You had no ETA. You yeah. never knew. Yeah. And so at that time, if you look back on yourself, that person who existed back then... Yeah. had a reality that perfectly reflected how you felt about yourself. Definitely. And you know what I realized that led me into that relationship in the first place is years of high school bullying. Yes. Years of high school bullying, a very low self-esteem, yet without the low self-esteem, I wouldn't have had that drive to do what I did professionally to you know, go to university to prove to everyone I was a somebody and not just this wallflower um, to really make something of myself. So I can look back on it now and be truly appreciative for that journey. At the time, it was absolute hell. Yeah. But it gives me perspective as well with my own kids because if there's ever any kind of uncomfortable stuff going on at school, bullying, that kind of thing, I can relay that story to them and say, look, you know, it's just a journey and you can change it at any time. You can throw a pebble in the lake and it will, you know, it will change. And you use that as your, your fuel and you change your perception of yourself and the mirror that is your school life changes. But I think what's also completely going for tangents here now, the thing that's really helped me compound law of attraction massively these past couple of years is um, becoming a pranic healing student mm. because it is law of attraction basically it's all law of attraction but it's just another way of teaching it and that and putting all those principles into practice has changed my financial situation massively to the extent that you're just like this is a this is a 50% increase in you know, income, abundance, just, you know, where we are now compared to where we were last year as a family, you just, you can't believe it. It's really incredible. So it's karmic healing? Yeah, I think a lot of it is that, and it's just the emphasis all the time, this emphasis on love, 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 love. Right. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It just, for me, it just helps me understand even better how law of attraction works, the whole scientific mechanism behind it. And I see it visually, you know, I, I do a healing on someone. Um, obviously I imagine them healthy and whole and all the rest of it. And you see that come back to your life the next day, the same day, something will happen and you'll just be like, that, that's not a coincidence. Right. The, the instant manifestation, I suppose, instant proof. And you don't do it for that, but yeah. it's all kind of what you give out, you get back, you get back tenfold. So, by yeah, it's so a, you give out hate and all the rest of it, and you're getting back. Right. back. Um, so it, in the session that you do with somebody, essentially what you're doing is allowing them to ease their resistance. Yes, that's it. And just a tiny easing in that resistance of what we think is wrong or traumatic or what we think happened to us. You know, this is what Joshua is all about, is that nothing ever happened to you. It was all for you so you could expand through that experience and see yourself from a new perspective. 
But if you hold the position that that was wrong and shouldn't have happened, then you don't really get the benefit of that experience. And, you know, sometimes experiences are to us traumatic. Um, Yet, you know, when I go on other people's podcasts, I talk about my life trying to prove my worthiness in business and with women and things like that. And I was trying to make other people see how special I was because I didn't feel it inside. So I thought if they thought I was good, then they would like love and respect me. And, and so eventually it all came to a head when I was very financially successful and then 2008 lost everything. And so I say, thank God I lost everything. So from this perspective, 10, 15 years, 10, 12 years later, it's like, that was the best thing that ever happened to me, even though that was at the time my worst fear coming true. And it's, you know, and, and now I look at it as such a benefit and a blessing And we can look back at, you know, a lot of things in our lives and say, thank God that happened, just like the bullying, thank God that happened because it brought me here. Well, if you could do that in the moment that some little thing is happening, you know, you get the benefit of that expansion. And then you actually see everything from a new perspective and you have more clarity and there's no resistance or less resistance. And so, so, you know, it's really not about the things we think we want manifesting money, manifesting a mate, manifesting a lean, healthy body. Um, it's more about understanding who we truly are and the power that we have to create lives that align with who we really are, our authentic selves. And then everything comes to match that. So, so transitioning from, the victim that you perceive yourself to be, you know, way back then, to the creator that you perceive yourself to be now, that's what that change in your reality is. Yeah, very much so. And it's interesting because even after leaving that bad relationship, I then went on to attract being treated like crap in the workplace. (laughs) But then after that, I got it, I got it, I got it. Because by that point, I look back... And it wasn't so long after that that I discovered law of attraction. Yes. Um, I was basically bullied, put into a corner at work, not literally, metaphorically. And, um, you know, it's around the time of the stillbirth of my baby. And it was terrible. It was really, really bad. Lots of threats and things going on. These people will never watch this. So it's okay. um, <laughs> and, and I've forgiven them. I honestly have. If I ever bumped into them again, we would have a drink. But... Yeah, it took that succession of events to go bullied, 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 victim, 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 victim. And then to just say, I've done this. I've created all this, you know. I have just gone from one to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other. They're just different scenarios, different sets of people. Um, What's the saying? Same, no, different faces, same places. You know what I mean? You were were exploring victimhood. And you've got an abundance of experiences that allowed you to explore that subject perfectly. Yes. In the bullying kind of way. Because as a victim, you perceive that bad things can happen to you and people can do things to you. And so as a victim, you are this individual fighting for survival in a malevolent universe, which is absolutely the opposite of who you truly are. 
who you truly are is this creator who is creating this benefit for all humanity. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've gone from there to there. And so what I think is so interesting about everyone's life story, you obviously are a spiritual leader and teacher. And you are expressing yourself in the way that you see fit as a spiritual leader and teacher, maybe not perceiving that perfectly or clearly, but it's coming out that way. And so you had to have these experiences to write this book to alert others who are living the same experience. Yes, yeah. And what a benefit that is. Yeah, I mean, every book I write, although the first one is obviously based on on all of that scenario, the whole bullying thing, every book I write has something hidden going on in it. So even this latest one, which is quite gritty, um, I've got an agent interested at the moment um, when I sent my fourth book. Yeah, that's right, the ice cream parlor to her. She basically, she's a big agent in London and, you know, it's easy to get overexcited, but I'm just going to stay grounded. She basically <laughs> said that my writing style is Liam Moriarty-ish and if I can gritty the next bit up, the next book up, she'd be happy to have a look at it. Um, but I had planned to do that with book six. So I'd written book five, The Cake Fairies. It's not gritty at all. It's all these cake drops around the UK to try and get people off mobile phones and social media to be present in the moment. And that was fun. But this one um, is called The Chocolate Box. It's got a kind of Jumanji style thing going on. So it's it's fabulism. Um, and yeah, there's grittiness in it for sure. A lot of grittiness in it. So it's a lot darker than the usual ones. But there's always resolution. Yes. You know, there will be resolution at the end because I can't ever leave a book with a, a really awful ending. That's not my style. And, you know, that's not helping the universe one iota so I'm never going to start doing that but it was fun it was it's been really really fun to write a baddie actually and to examine why they are in that situation because nobody is born evil you know it's right. what's gone on in childhood and all the rest of it how that shaped your perception of the world so yeah I, you know probably this agent is going to come back and I'm being negative now <laughs> she probably <laughs> is say it's just a bit too much fabulism going on for her no because yeah but the thing is that i remember being in my first uh abraham workshop in Asheville, and there was probably 300 people there (laughs) there was only one person who was an american in there and she was from england and this is 2010 11 12 something like that and she said she worked for MI6. She was a, some kind of CIA type agent, right? And she said, if I ever took this back to England, I'd be laughed out of the country. That country <laughs> is so not into this stuff. And now, 2020, it's USA, UK, as the population of listeners to this podcast and, Lo- and Joshua Live. It is booming and it's booming of course more even more in america in canada australia south africa but uk went from number 10 to now number two it's ireland somehow we we popped up in ireland in like the number top 10 in law of attraction podcasts or spirituality podcasts in that genre it's like it's yeah yeah it's like they are coming on so quickly and and people are saying that that 
how we've been programmed in our childhood from our parents. I'm 57. So from our parents who, you know, were born in the 30s and 40s and grew up in the 50s in a way that, you know, was more like now we have some control over our over our condition. And so I was born in 1963. So in the 60s, you know, there was a level of control over our childhood and programming in school and all that. It sounds like Spain has a more open school thing than the U.S. does. Um, and then in the 80s, when I was starting in business, it was all about status. Where were you in this hierarchy, right? Well, Britain is all about status. It's a hierarchical system. And you were born into a class, and you could be a a low class or a high class, right? Now, in present day US, everyone's equal. It's like there is no real status anymore because you could be a YouTuber at 14 making $3 million. In fact, one of a good friend of mine has a friend that owns a huge chain of restaurants and his son makes twice as much as he does being on YouTube, just posting silly little videos, right? It's yeah. like, Status has been wiped away. Now we're all on this equal playing field, knowing that we can absolutely do anything. We have that potential if we become authentic. Well, the UK is catching up and France is catching up like crazy. And the you know, Scandinavian countries are where you know they had a certain culture. They're starting to let loose. And the younger people are no longer needing to go through all of the bullshit that we went through trying to prove our worthiness, they're like, no, I'm not doing that. And so all these young people are getting into Joshua now. And so I say that the gatekeepers who say, your book or your music or whatever you have is the thing that will sell, they don't really know what they're talking about because they're, they're thinking back to the, how it used to be. It's yeah. all different now. And when, when people catch on to something and start sharing it, Thank God for the technology and the internet because once someone catches something and it can just spark and it doesn't have to be the biggest thing in the world anymore. No. You can have your niche and just be so loved and appreciated within that niche as yeah, well. It's right ripples. And what I also find is, you know, I, I've, I've hit a, a number one spot in some very niche Amazon categories, but we all shout about it when that happens because you know you've got to you've got to take those small victories. Sure. Um, not not that many people have heard of me comparatively, but I find that when I put my heart and soul into my writing, the abundance comes back through different channels, and that's right. I look at it now. I don't look at it as oh, you know, I haven't been signed up with HarperCollins and. I'm not getting a whatever thousand advance because, you know, I'm not this big, well-known author writing mainstream stuff that ticks boxes. Yes. Uh, but you notice, you start making that correlation, you really realize that the abundance does come in through different channels, all these different channels. It doesn't have to come direct from the book. Absolutely. Because you're putting something out there, you are still getting things back, but you're getting them back maybe in different forms. Um, and they're not related to the book, but they are, but you don't see it. Right, you don't see it. It's almost like, you know, um, when you're doing something horrible, you, you've sent some really bad criticism out there or something, you don't make the correlation then with, you know, the neighbor's dog barking for hours and in the next night. 
it's that kind of thing. You don't you don't see it, but I know it. I feel it. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe I'm not in other people's eyes this huge hot success, but I know that what I'm doing is making a difference, and I can I can palpably feel it. So you just keep building on it, and you know I enjoy doing it. I love doing it. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember meeting Pam Grout, who wrote E Squared. And we were on a law of attraction cruise. We're speakers on this cruise. And it was my first speaking that I've ever done. And it was even before Joshua came out speaking. So it was, it was me. And what we did is I did a presentation about the law of attraction. It was called the um, cheat codes to life. Like a video game would have cheat codes. Well, life has a cheat codes too. And this was channeled by Joshua. And so I presented that and I was the first presenter and then we did a this this podcast on the cruise ship, and there were a few other speakers there. And Pam Grout, who had had two books at this point, and was absolutely probably the most famous law of attraction writer at that time, yeah. was also a speaker. And so here I am holding her up on this pedestal, thinking that this person knows about law of attraction. Well. She was actually a travel writer, and she wanted to create this book that became a New York Times bestseller. And so she wrote this book. It was pure inspiration, came through quickly and easily, but she was still living in the old approach to life of control, saying that if this book's successful, then I'm worthy. And what she got back were these tremendous feelings of unworthiness, and she couldn't even have a a presentation. She didn't even, her presentation was, okay, everyone go around and tell a law of attraction story. So she never spoke once at this whole thing. And in this, maybe 50 people that came to it, 40 people came to see me. And here I am not knowing anything about this stuff, right? And only a couple people came to see her and some people came to see those other speakers. And I was like, you, your perception of things shift when you yeah. really start, stop needing to be something in order to prove your worthiness. And she had, at this one point, we were doing this thing where the people in, the, in attendance could ask Joshua a question, and I would channel the answer, and then we'd present it. And her question was, she really wanted to have this TV show about law of attraction. And she was really pushing and struggling to get this thing going. And so her question is, how do I get this thing going? And Joshua's answer was, release your attachment to it. Because the universe has something lined up for you that is part of who you truly are and is is aligned with who you truly are. And this is not it. It could be a podcast that could reach millions more people. It could be a documentary. It could be who knows what it is. But the TV show, don't worry about that. And so we, we did the whole podcast was basically on this answer, read the whole answer. And I said to her, she was in the audience, what do you think about the answer? And she said, I was just hoping for a name of a producer. <laughs> you know, she missed the point altogether, right? Like Joshua was going to say, okay, you need to contact this person, like a fortune teller. And so, you, so I see, okay, this is someone. And you see a lot of these people that you perceive are these successful people, but you don't know how they feel. 
And I remember listening to uh, an interview with this woman who wrote this bestseller that was on the New York Times for like two years, number one or something. And she would say every week they would get the numbers, you know, and they would see where they were and all this money came in and she was living by these numbers. You know, if it went down to number two, she was like devastated and next week it would go <laughs> up and she was constantly struggling to get this thing up. And she, she made, you know, millions and millions of dollars and she ended up losing it all. All her family came and she got into terrible fights with her family because one person, she would give this amount and the other person would say, I'm your sister or I'm your cousin. I should have more than that person. It's like that kind of scenario. It's like when people win the lottery. (laughs) It's exactly because she wasn't, yeah, she was doing it to attain something she thought would would make her feel worthy and the absolute opposite happened. And so really, if we just are inspired and act on that inspiration and let it go without any attachment to the outcome, then we'll just keep getting more inspiration and more things will start happening. And we're, you know, when you write your books, this is a tricky thing because when I wrote the Joshua books, it was all pure inspiration. It was just as if it was a pre-written book. I was just retyping. Right. And so there was, there was nothing that I needed to add to it or, edited there was no editing at all it's just typos you know no changing of it all exactly how i how i typed it out is how the book is word for word but you see this happening to a lot of people their first book or their first song that gets to be a hit they want to recreate that and so now they're thinking in their head well what will the reader like rather than what's coming through that's it yeah yeah. So do you find yourself being more inspired and letting it flow or concerned about the marketability of it? Do you know, this, this sounds really terrible. But I'm just going to say it. I couldn't give a crap what the readers think. I write what I want to write and that's it. And that is why, that is why I'm not the perfect match to all of these agents, to all of these publishing houses, because they want something really predictable and stereotypical that, that has this story arc, you know, the typical story arc, it does this and it does that. And they don't want to take things too far if you've got a bit of fabulism in the book um, or a bit of magic in the book. It's, you know, we'll have a tiny bit, we'll just we'll pipe that down a bit, you know, that's just a bit too much. And I can't write like that. So I've accepted long ago, I think, really, well, probably last year. <laughs> <laughs> started to accept that you know what I'd rather write what I want to write and be an indie author forever with these books nobody ever snaps me up fine than sell my soul and write what they want me to write because I'm not I don't feel like I'm giving anything of value to the universe to anybody else if I'm just spouting out what they want me to write if I'm, you know, thwarting and curbing my own creativity. And I honestly believe that, you know, you, you get these ideas about what to write because you have this muse right above your head, this giant cloud <laughs> that you are literally channeling from. Absolutely. So, yes. I'm not channeling in quite the same way as you, but it's still a form of channeling because it's absolutely I'll channeling. Back and yeah. I will go, I can't remember typing that. Oh my God. You know, I'll read it back and I'll just think, I didn't even know I knew that word. And then I'll look it up to check that. Oh, right. Okay. 
how did I know that? It's really odd when you read things back, you honestly feel like you're so in the flow, so in the moment that it's coming from elsewhere, definitely. Yeah. Um, your higher soul, from the universe, wherever. It's not coming from, you know, rooted on planet Earth, me. It's coming from elsewhere. So I know that that's what needs to go into the book. Yeah. You know, come to me for a reason, and that's what needs to go into the book. I just loosely have the idea that I will keep writing books and and then at a certain point, they can't ignore my presence. Right. They can't, because my books have a very strong brand in terms of cover design. They're all tend to be aerial foodie shots, but I think and hope they look quite classy. And I've been really cheeky and on my Twitter bio and on my Instagram bio, I call myself the queen of covers yeah. because I get such great feedback about my covers. But this was a really good thing. You know, when I started working with Cricket Cat, I did the first three books with them. And unlike your big traditional publishers, these guys said to me, find your cover. You know, we haven't got time to do it. You go and have a look and see what you want. So I spent hours going through all the stock photo websites. I mean, hours, <laughs> choosing potential covers and some of them are better than others and then you you get that skill for yourself and you learn what makes a good cover and you learn to um create so so it's a very strong brand now and that's yeah that's what i want to replicate even if a big publisher was to come up to me and say we want you i would be you can have me but i'm not having any wishy-washy illustrated covers that's my cover right me, but you've got to have these kind of covers. So I think that what you were talking about before is that you've come to a place vibrationally where you are a cooperative component to these stories being told as, as creatively as they come forth without having to control too much. And see, the control, wanting it to be different than it's actually coming out, is very tricky when you're writing a novel because you think you need to know the end and you think you need to know how each character is going to behave in order to wrap it up all tidy at the end. I think a lot of people get stuck. I know I do. I've, I've st started three novels and stopped in the middle because I think I need to know the end rather than just letting the story right. flow. But right. when I was doing the Joshua books, it's like, what's that word? I don't even know what that word is. I have to look it up and go, okay, that does make sense. How do I know this word? Yeah. So I had to keep Google up on the side to say, is this even a word? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's what I do sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So all invention, all songs, all books, all anything, any new creation is coming to the person that's a cooperative component to letting it flow as easily and effortlessly. And if that inspiration wasn't for you, for your soul's purpose, it couldn't come to you. You know, and 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 trying to say that this is going to lead to that is coming from a limited perspective. We're basically like little ants running around. And if you blow on an ant, the ant's going to run away. It's not going to know that I'm blowing on the ant. The ant is going to say, OK, there's something happening here. I'm just getting out of the way. We have to realize that there's things beyond what we can sense with our five senses that's coming in and that we are creators and we create through inspiration and if we can just
get out of the way and let it come through without any attachment, especially about what it means about us. Because you could be a writer who has so much fun just writing these novels and publishing it yourself and selling it to 10 people. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you aren't great. You are great. And if you sold it to 5 million people, it doesn't mean you're better than the person who sold it to 10 people. You know, it doesn't mean any, cause you're beyond definition. You are limitless and limitlessness defies definition. You can't be defined. So we don't need anything to say, Oh, we're good. Even though it's fun to say I'm a published author or I have a popular podcast or whatever it is. It doesn't mean anything. It's interesting you say what you say about the, um, you know, the inspiration coming through and letting it come through and not knowing where that story is going to take you because that is the way every single book of mine has been written. Yeah. And recently, and he won't listen to this, so it's fine. <laughs> There's been a new author that's come on board with um, the publishing house that my first three books have, have been published with. And he's very opinionated and he's like, I think, you know, I need to give you some more awesome advice. You need to thoroughly plot every point of your novel. Don't you? <laughs> Everyone's eye rolling and some snarky comments came back, but that's exactly it. I can't. I'm a pantser. I don't plot. I've never plotted. Um, you know, and even with this one, I have a very vague idea of what might happen, but yeah. oh, the characters, they take over yeah. and on a daily basis. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm always being told by people as well, this is another great big writer's myth, don't edit as you go along. Right. I love editing as I go along. I absolutely love it because to me, it's like being Michelangelo. I'm not comparing my words to Michelangelo. (laughs) It's like being Michelangelo with the Sistine Chapel, working on small areas at a time. And then I can see the beauty in it. And I think, oh, this is great. I love it. I want to carry on. If I'm just writing something rough, 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 all the way to the end, I look at it and I think, what a pile of pants. It's, it's just awful. I don't want to work on this. No. But if I'm gradually polishing that diamond, you know, that very rough diamond, as I go along, the momentum of those polished words and all that creativity um, it fuels me every time I sit down to write because I'm just like, oh my God, that's really quite good, that last paragraph. Yeah, I want to write more. And then the muse comes and the creativity comes. And I had a great session today, um, nearly finished this book and all sorts of new ideas came that I just thought, had I plotted this out rigorously, that wouldn't have happened. And actually, I've proven to myself that I can't plot a book because I tried to plot a Christmas book, a follow-up from Cocktail Bar. Um, and no, it's just not happening. (laughs) I'm like, after this one, I'm going on to this one. I've got my next title sorted and I I know it's going to happen. Um, and yeah, I've learned my lesson. You know, I wasted, I didn't waste it, but you know, I spent time writing 3000 or so words in a plotting style. And I just thought, Ooh, meh, it's not happening. It's so, felt so flat and dull and, uninspired so here's two two really good points one is the joy of writing does not come from planning and plotting it out it comes from letting it flow yeah when the other point is that you have to get yourself up to vibrational speed 
to let that creativity flow. What I would do is I would meditate every day before going in to, to do my half an hour of writing. And so I'd meditate, then I would go in, and then I would edit the three pages that I did the day before, just clearing up ty typos. But I have to read everything yes. that was written yesterday to do those typos, and then I just start typing. And, and it could be in the middle of a paragraph, right? Or the, you know, the next paragraph in the middle of a chapter. And that gets you up to speed vibrationally, so now you're ready to create something new. So however people do that. But the contrast between planning anything and then going through the plan, that's work, effort, and struggle, as opposed to just letting it flow and enjoying that process and not having attachment to the outcome because you can always edit it later. You know, that's it. Brilliant. I can relate to that. Yeah. Okay. So this has been a fabulous conversation. So much. For, thank you so much for being here. Tell everyone what they should do next, how they should find you, what they should buy, where they should look, <laughs> all these things, where they should start. What's your favorite well, book of the six books? Um, my favorite one that I've had published so far is The Ice Cream Parlor. I'm just going to go like that because the typesetting is a bit wonky. The Ice awesome. Cream Parlor. The Ice Cream it's Parlor. Isabella May. Yeah. It's a book about ice cream, unsurprisingly, and it's a kind of very love style story of um, a woman who has all sorts of relationship issues and problems with her family and the family business, which is an ice cream parlor and bath. And she basically goes around Italy and discovers all these amazing flavors of ice cream. And so if you like gelato, you will, you will enjoy it. Yeah, you will not be able to read it without going to the local supermarket or your local gelateria and eating everything inside. That's what I did when I wrote it. I'm on um, Instagram and Twitter. If you just type in Isabella May books into Instagram or Twitter, you'll find me. I'm on Facebook. I'm, I'm rubbish for Facebook. <laughs> I'm really rubbish for Facebook. I love Instagram and Twitter because I particularly with Instagram, I love all the visual side of that. So yeah. I'm always taking pics and yeah, airbrushing them. Yeah. So travel picks and food picks. So yes. that book, The Ice Cream Parlor, where does it take place? Well, this one's set in, um, it starts off on the island of Capri. And then um, there's a bit of mafia involvement, even though Capri has no mafia. So I'm told. Um, <laughs> I knew that, you know, it's artistic license. And then it uh, goes across to Bath, UK. And, um, yeah, it's sort of two rival ice cream parlors, really. It's um, a story of a family who have a very traditional ice cream parlor, one side of the bridge, which is going to be handed down to the evil twin sister, let's say. And the one who really has the passion for ice cream, um, Giovanna, she's denied everything. She's worked hard in the parlor all her life and she's done everything right. And anyway, in the end, she decides, no, I'm going to set one up the opposite side of Pulteney Bridge, which is quite an iconic but short bridge in Bath. And I'm going to have an ice cream parlor with 100 flavors. And you wait and see what happens. And it's, yeah, there's fireworks. Put it that way, there's fireworks. So they're very stalwart, traditional. We'll have tutti frutti. We'll have vanilla, chocolate, hazelnuts, you know, maybe lemon. And she's got everything you could possibly imagine. And... And when she goes to Italy, where does she go in Italy? She starts out, let me think, it's Tuscany where she starts out. 
So, and that's based on a trip I've made. Uh-huh. Um, there's this amazing um, medieval town called San Gimignano. And they have this really awesome ice cream parlor at the top of this medieval town hill um, called Dondolis. And in Dondolis, I mean, I just love unusual flavor pairings when it comes to sweet food. Um, and you can have everything you can possibly think of. So I think I had a blueberry and ricotta one when we went last summer. Wow. Another time I've had saffron and pine nuts. They do rice pudding flavor, just everything you can think of. Um, fig and cheese, gorgonzola. Um, the cues are just going all the way down the hill. It's a really yeah. So did that inspire you? Was that the inspiration that started it all? Definitely. I think I'd always had that place in my head and thought, because what I tend to do when I'm about to write a book, I check and see if the title exists. Yeah. So I do a quick Google search. I'm like, what? No one's written a book on the ice cream. That's insane. <laughs> so, all right, I'll have that. Let's quickly write it now before anyone else has the same idea. Um, and I just thought it would be really cool just to, um, excuse the pun, just <laughs> have a book that was centered around ice cream. I like to have a foodie theme going on in all my books. Yeah. It was um, a cocktail theme. And again, yep. with the cocktail bar, I, I just couldn't believe there was no other book out there called The Cocktail Bar, not even a nonfiction one. Amazing. Yeah. Um, really, because it's such an obvious title, but I like to go for a, a kind of plain, bold title if I can. Um, and I, yeah, I like to have a foodie theme going on in all my books because that's the other thing um, that I'm very passionate about, particularly from a feminist point of view, really, is this whole getting over ourselves for apologizing for eating a piece of cake, you know, right? justifying our calorific intake to people. And it happens so much. It's like I was at this um, Costa get-together, a local Costa get-together with expat women um, not so long ago. And there's this lady in the queue. And, you know, we've got this beautiful buffet set out before us. And, you know, you can have fruit. You can have some lovely Belgian waffles. You can have these delicious-looking croissants filled with almond. And I think, well, I know what I'm having. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a fruit person in the afternoon, but I'm having an almond boss on it's morning. And, um, you know, all the room just going behind the wall. And I just ask, oh, why? Oh, it's really naughty. And I shouldn't know because I've, I've been naughty yesterday. I've eaten this. I just can't bear it. And I think, you know, if we want our daughters to have more equality for that generation growing up, I think it's so important that we don't go around having this dialogue publicly with ourselves whatever so I'm, I'm really passionate about eating what I want yeah I'm a lot of water yeah <laughs> I do it healthily I do eat my fruit and veg and things but if I want cake I will flip and I'll eat it if I want an ice cream I'll eat it and I never justify it never but I think again that comes from the whole domestic violence thing from being with somebody um, who used to police what I ate wow um, and I've always been a relatively slim build short petite person but yeah if I eat a little too much of course it will show because I'm short um and yeah a lot of sort of fatty eating went on around that time a lot of secretive eating Mm. um you know great big tubs of Ben and Jerry's (laughs) eaten for tea and then the evidence quickly thrown away oh I'm not hungry tonight Mm. and eating with uh this person's sister who was the epitome of golden blonde hair beautifully skinny worked out every day you know and I was just yeah 
desperate to move away from all of that. So I'm very passionate about eating what you want, eating what you love and really just blessing your food and loving it because I think your thoughts, a bit like the observer effect, your, your thoughts about your food will affect what it does, how much weight you put on, the goodness you extract from things. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. Well, <laughs> so it's like everything else. <laughs> Eating is either based in love or based in fear. Yes. And if it's based in fear, you're going to make choices attempting to control what you think is wrong or bad. And if it's based in love, you'll be inspired to eat whatever is perfect for your body. And yeah. it's just a matter of getting more practice at thinking about the feeling of it. And is this desire really an urge created out of fear to control how I feel? Or is it an inspired idea to do what, what will make me feel better yeah. In the long term. Well, I can see that the arc of your life, everything that you experienced led to the inspiration that created these wonderful books and who you are and the life that you have now and everything is good. And so thanks so much for being here. Thank you everyone for listening to me and Isabella May and go like I'm going to do now. I'm going to go by the ice cream parlor, go buy a book. <laughs> And let's support this creation by all joining in together in this awesome community of co-creators. Love to you all. See you all later. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you would like to support this show, the best thing you can do is subscribe, uh, especially on iTunes. Also, leave your comments and leave your ratings. And that will help us grow this community of people who are interested in law of attraction and the uh, mechanism of physical reality. It'll be cool to spread the word even further and you can help out by subscribing, leaving your comments and rating the show. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the teachings of Joshua Roundtable. Remember, you are loved more than you can imagine by more than you could ever count. We'll see you next week.